last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty. I had Hayden Hurst ranked ahead of Dallas Goddard last year, and it's one of the stupidest things I've ever done. And why not just draft the actual guy with Ben Roethlisberger? I'm going to answer your question with a question. Does it matter? And I've watched maybe three minutes of the preseason. That's more than me. I'm feeling great about that life decision. And I'm going to let the cynicism about the ridiculousness of all of this just shine through. And my geography friend, I'm like, you know, okay, dude, just get out a globe. Okay, geography done. And oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, There's a a French connection. I'm going to miss on this one. Oh, God. No, I'm going to miss on it. Pierre. Ah, it's a tough one. I gave you a tough one right out of the gate. How about Florida? Ah, uh, man, now we're... Oh, man. You don't remember? If you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! What? Me? And Roger Goodell had to do Robert Kraft a solid after he fucked him with Deflategate. And... Every NFL prospect we get is projected to go on day two and falls to the fifth round. Oh, it's going to be a good show. And was that Kirsten Dunst dream a wet dream? (laughs) No, it wasn't a wet dream. Thank you very much. I have had a wet dream once when I was 15. I woke up and I was having sex with my pillow. This fucking show has no boundaries. And yeah, I, I saw my wife like for three days in a row. That was impressive. And. Todd Haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all. And was I relating that to something sexual? It's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me tonight is Mr. Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. And Matt, tonight is a special episode, is it not? The exclusive Sonic Truth breakout wide receiver special. The Sonic Truth podcast is affiliated with the Breakout Finder. It's a website. It's going to be an app. Just call it an app. The Breakout Finder app. All this news. We'll just call it an app for now. We'll just call it the Breakout Finder app. We are affiliated with the Breakout Finder, and the Breakout Finder loved a handful of these enticing rookie wide receivers, and some of them have already broken out. Didn't take them long, did it, Nate? <laughs> no. No, we're uh, we're one week in, and, uh, and I feel like some receivers that we thought were going to be great have uh, taken a backseat to uh, other receivers that were going much later in rookie drafts. We had plans to do a show next week, but the rookies forced us to change our schedule. We had to change the schedule of the Sonic Truth podcast to accommodate these rookies just breaking out all over the place, exceeding expectations. It's not just the 100-yard games that multiple rookies were posting. It's that they're playing major roles, major snaps, whether it's DK Metcalf, whether it's Debo Samuel. 
even if they're not monster producers yet, they're playing significant roles on their respective teams. It's exciting, man. I'm excited. I can't believe we're here because this wide receiver class was a fade as of two weeks ago. And now it's bananas. Absolutely bananas. I mean, there are so many names of players that, uh, like you said, are rookies in this class that I think a lot of people were apprehensive about drafting. Uh, you know, in the end, as we look back on it, we're going to get into these guys tonight. If you traded out of the early part of the first round into the second round and made selections or right at the end of the first round, you probably landed some absolute gems of players. And you are very happy going into week two of the NFL season right now in Dynasty. A Sonic Truth special event is here. But before we get to the rookie wide receivers, I got to ask. I got to ask because he just looks so good. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to have the conversation. Who is the number one quarterback in Dynasty? Is it Patrick Mahomes or is it Deshaun Watson? This is a semi-tricky question, but at the same time, not really tricky at all. It's a conversation. Just admit it's a conversation. It's a conversation. Is there a wrong answer here? I'm not sure. The comparable outside receivers. Travis Kelsey is the real difference between the two, of course. And then there's the pass attempts, right? Mahomes... That's not the real difference between the two. Travis Kelsey is one of Patrick Mahomes' weapons, but he's not directly related to Patrick Mahomes. He just happens to work with Patrick Mahomes at their job together. He's okay. The difference between Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson is the rushing ability. It's the mobility. Patrick Mahomes is mobile, but Deshaun Watson can be a prolific rusher. That's the major difference. They're both young. They just turned 24 years old. Same exact age, similar career production. And then they kick off week one with similar monster games. And if we're looking at the two guys, yeah, I agree. Because last year, Deshaun Watson rushed the ball 99 times to Patrick Mahomes 80. And then if you look at the attempts per game, Patrick Mahomes uh, or was just under four, Deshaun Watson over six. But the to me, another big difference, though, that offsets the rushing a little bit is Mahomes' pass attempts per game. I mean, going back to last year, Mahomes threw it 580 times to Watson's 505. So there's nearly two and a half games more of pass attempts. And in addition to that, when you look at the touchdown rate between these two players, Mahomes, and I know you're a big proponent of the touchdown rate, isn't isn't repeatable 8.6% TD rate. He's already over 9 this year. Well, the elite quarterbacks have higher than average touchdown rates because they're good at throwing the ball, especially in tight quarters when you get close to the goal line. So it makes sense that the most efficient quarterbacks in the league would have higher TD rates. That's just intuitive. So so over 80 more pass attempts, the higher TD rate. This is what I'm saying. I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think you're happy with whoever you have here. They're both great quarterbacks. I mean, elite quarterbacks, young quarterbacks. I don't think there's a wrong answer. I'm with you. The rushing upside is exceptional. But if What are you kidding me? Of course there's a wrong answer. There's a right and a wrong answer. Who's number one? The answer is Patrick Mahomes. So if you said Deshaun Watson, that would have been the wrong answer. <laughs> okay. We agree then. I agree. It's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, They're both phenomenal. It's not Deshaun Watson, but it's a conversation. I'm laying the groundwork. It's close. Right? We are building a foundation brick by brick by brick 
by brick by brick by brick. So if it so happens that two, three, four weeks from now, Deshaun Watson is outscoring Patrick Mahomes in fantasy football, we can point back to the breakout wide receiver special event that we hosted on the Sonic Truth podcast and say, see, see, we told you this was a conversation. We told you we were ranking Patrick Mahomes number one. Fine. But we were insistent that this is a conversation. And it is a conversation. And Deshaun Watson, 30 pass attempts in a game in which Houston was leading 14-3 at halftime. So even with positive game script, Deshaun Watson hit that 30 attempt mark. I think he's going to throw more. I think he's going to throw more accurately this season. You already saw it, right? You already saw the accurate deep shots from Deshaun Watson in that game against the Saints, who have a quality secondary led by Marshawn Lattimore. Didn't matter. DeAndre Hopkins, 8 for 111 and 2 touchdowns. Why? Because Deshaun Watson is even more accurate than he was last season. Is DeAndre Hopkins going to break records? Yeah, yeah, he's going to break records. I mean, is he breaking records this season? Say yes. Uh, yes, I'm going to extrapolate. I don't want to. I hate people that do, but we're one weekend. We have to. Yeah, but if there is a wide receiver that you can extrapolate freely, it's DeAndre Hopkins. Absolutely. He's very extrapolatable. He's <laughs> so good. Well, look, over the last four years, DeAndre Hopkins has not seen less than 151 pass targets. He's already got 13 in this season, which puts him on pace for about <laughs> 208. Yeah, We know he's not going to get there, but we've seen some guys break 200 in the past. What's really crazy, though, is he has an A dot of 16.6. 200 targets. 200 targets. <laughs> This guy, 16.6 A dot on 13 targets is ridiculous. And if you go back to last year, his 12.2 A dot was number two overall amongst the top 10 most targeted wideouts in the league. So he's doing it all over the field. Deshaun Watson's taking a big step forward this year. He's the unanimous wide receiver one amongst the league. And if he sets records this year, I will not be surprised. He's on pace to do so. 48% target share. In week one, he dominated the targets. Didn't matter that Marshawn Lattimore was trying his best to lock down DeAndre Hopkins. It did not happen. It was not effective because nothing's effective against this guy. Right? Cornerbacks weren't effective against DeAndre Hopkins when Tom Savage was the quarterback. So when, when right. Deshaun Watson <laughs> is the quarterback, it doesn't matter you put out there on him. Big physical corner. Going into his third year in the league, you'd think that Marshawn Lattimore, well-equipped to hold down DeAndre Hopkins in week one, it didn't happen. It may be that because Marshawn Lattimore is so good, it convinced the Saints to play DeAndre Hopkins straight up, not to bracket him, not to double cover him. So sometimes you prefer the quality cover corner be assigned to your alpha wide receiver because it ensures single coverage. Against a lesser secondary, DeAndre Hopkins might see double coverage, might be bracketed and have less room to operate and get less separation. So that is the great shadow fallacy. And I'm looking forward to DeAndre Hopkins challenging the NFL reception record, the NFL yards record, the total fantasy points record. I'm looking forward to him challenging all of them because the environment is set. The situation is perfect. 
for DeAndre Hopkins in his age 27 season, still in his super prime, with maximum rapport, with an elite quarterback. Everything is in place for a historic season. And anyone that had Devontae Adams, pretty much anyone other than Juju Smith-Schuster, and that precocious, youthful production that Juju Smith-Schuster delivers, if you had anyone other than Smith-Schuster ahead of DeAndre Hopkins, you were doing it wrong. Mm. What does this mean for Kiki QT? Because Will Fuller was operating at full capacity or close to it. And now Bill O'Brien comes out and he says, hey, Kenny Stills' role is going to grow significantly as the season goes on. Wait a second. Whoa, 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 Bill, wait. If we want DeAndre Hopkins to set records, to surpass Marvin Harrison's single-season receptions record, and we want those Will Fuller splash plays, and Kenny Stills will command targets moving forward. Well, okay, where does that leave Kiki QT? It's a matter of fact that this guy has been hurt. He continues to get hurt on a team that has been plagued by Will Fuller injuries. And Kenny Stills has been great throughout his career. I mean, he's been a good player when given opportunity. I think Kiki definitely slides into the wide receiver four position. Stills was targeted 64 times last season. And he was the only wide receiver in 2018 with over 1,000 air yards, but less than 70 total targets. The next closest receiver was Deshaun Jackson. So he's got an dot of 16.3 last year. This is a guy that can make big-time plays downfield. They need a receiver of this you know, cut of cloth. And Kiki, in a Deshaun Watson's offense, has had an dot of 5.1. A 5.1. That was last year. I mean, it's unreal where he's being used on the field versus DeAndre versus Will Fuller. So you put Kenny Stills in that role, yeah, obviously Kiki's going to take a back seat. Kenny Stills is good. Kenny Stills, one of the most efficient wide receivers during his time in New Orleans. And the thought was, well, he's going to go to Miami. Significant downgrade at quarterback. <laughs> should say that. Remember when Miami could have had Drew Brees? Remember when Miami was deciding between Brees and Dante Culpepper? Mm. And they chose Culpepper? And the Saints had to settle for Drew Brees. Remember that? Remember that? The rest is history. So Kenny Stills goes to Miami. And then last year, guess what happens? Like you said, top 10 in the league in average target distance. And the production premium, looking at every given down and distance, what was Kenny Stills delivering on a per-target basis? Plus 24.4 fantasy points, top five in the NFL. And when you factor out quarterback play, his plus 23.4 target premium was top 20. So this guy has always been one of the league leaders in target depth, yards per target, production premium, doesn't matter what team he's on. Now he has the best deep ball passer of his career, and this is a guy that spent time with Drew Brees. So you take one of the league's signature deep threats and pair him with Deshaun Watson, we're not going to hear from Kiki QT for the rest of the season because that's a serious injury. Anytime I hear high ankle sprain, like with Tevin Coleman, if I hear high ankle, high ankle, just those two words together, high and ankle, not ankle high, that's a sock. <laughs> high ankle. If I hear high ankle, I scratch that player out for the rest of the season because they will not be right until 2020. Anyone that suffers a high ankle sprain, even when they come back, they're going to be less effective. That's why Kiki QT immediately went on my do not draft list the moment I heard high ankle sprain because a high ankle sprain is a misnomer. It's not a sprain. Do you know what a high ankle sprain is? 
Uh, I mean, it's above the ankle, isn't it? Yeah. At the interface of the ankle bone and the tibula and fibula, that interface is twisted so violently that it, it creates cracks in the bone and small tears in the ligaments. That's why when players suffer high ankle sprains, they often need to get carted off because they can't put any weight on their leg. Did you see the Tyler Eifert injury where his ankle was twisted around 180 degrees? Mm-hmm. You see this sometimes with baseball players rounding first base, the Delino DeShields injury from 20 years ago where the foot is just flapping. It's been completely disconnected from the leg. Well, a high ankle sprain is a lesser version of that. It's closer to the major injury family than it is the minor injury family. Let's just say that. Well, I mean, even despite the injury, the usage last year, Kenny's still showing up. I'm not even sure it matters. If he comes back healthy, uh, this is going to be a very difficult role for him to take back. Yeah, and Tevin Coleman is completely fucked. If you have Tevin Coleman in Dynasty, sell him for whatever you can get. He's scheduled to be back in October. That's what the coaches are saying. Take advantage of the coach speak and the injury optimism and trade Tevin Coleman as soon as possible and acquire... Matt Breida as soon as possible. It is wheels up for Matt Breida in a way we could have only imagined two months ago. No Tevin Coleman, no Jarek McKinnon. This is Matt Breida's backfield. How excited are you? You got to be excited, man. I mean, unless you're the world's biggest uh, Mostert Wilson truther. Who? You are Raheem Mostert. Oh, Raheem Mostert. Yes. Right? I mean, if you've got his jersey in your closet... It's time to break it out. This is your opportunity. But uh, looking back at Brita last year, number seven in yards per touch, number seven in breakaway runs, uh, number nine in true yards per carry, very productive. And like you said, no competition for the receiving role, no competition for the primary running back role. I mean, this is the gr- this is a great time to have Brita. If you were going zero RB, you're winning right now. Brita's going to smash. I had Lance Zerline from the NFL Network on the Mind of Mansion show, and he believes that Matt Breed is going to be an RB1 the rest of the season. And what do you say to that? Except, yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> yeah! I mean, it, it definitely uh, is in lockstep with my belief that Jimmy Garoppolo is a turd. So they're going to need to run. So you're okay with Matt Breida, even though he went to Georgia Southern? You forgive him for going to a small school? Here, haven't we talked about this before? When you've proved in the NFL that you are an NFL talent, all your college stuff goes out the window. Prove me wrong, and I'll and I'll take your side. You prove me wrong. Did the 138.499th percentile burst score help to erase any doubts about Matt Breida in your mind? That's always what vaults him into the conversation. That's where you get behind him with wind beneath your wings, and you drive them into the conversation. Best comparable I- to C.J. Spiller on PlayerProfiler.com. Did that help at all? I mean, not really. Rest in peace, C.J. Spiller, but... No, I want my running backs best comparable to C.J. Spiller because likely they have better instincts than C.J. Spiller. Imagine C.J. Spiller with football instincts. Oh, yeah. Would have been nice. Would have been nice. 
Can you imagine? Imagine a healthy, instinctual C.J. Spiller. Oh, that's a running back I want on my fantasy team, baby. I'm with you. I, I'm I'm excited for Brita. And if you own him, you're lucky. I mean, uh, you got him probably on the cheap. You know who I don't want on my fantasy team is Ted fucking Ginn. Uh-oh. Ted Ginn. Uh-oh. Will give me an ulcer by the time this season is over. I just can't believe the target distribution that I'm seeing in New Orleans. I just can't believe it. If you haven't fallen back in love with football yet, you didn't watch that Texans-Saints game. The only problem I had with that game were the seven targets for Ted Ginn to two for Traquan Smith. And the killer, the killer is Ted Ginn was uber-efficient with those targets. He was 7 of 7 for over 100 yards. He's not going away. If Ted Ginn won't go away and Jared Cook is commanding targets and Alvin Kamara's second on the team in targets, that leaves no room for Traquan Smith. He's the fifth receiver. Fuck this. Well, well then. Wow. Um, It's killing me. I know, but look. Traquan was two for two. How could he have done any better? He scored, and he was two for two when targeted. It's not like he's face-planting when given an opportunity. Get Ted Ginn the hell out of there. Drew Brees threw the ball 43 times, and Traquan Smith ended up with a 5% target share. He had as many targets as Taysom Hill, but the reality is Ted Ginn is a decent veteran outside receiver with long speed. He still has it. How does he still have long speed? How does Deshaun Jackson still has it? How is Ted Ginn still fast? I don't know. This doesn't make any sense. They don't lose it. But as you stated, he was hyper-efficient, and Traquan Smith is going to continue to take a backseat to Ted Ginn for quite some time. Mm. And, you know, it's a veteran presence who's stretching the field, man. I I don't know what to say. He's done it his whole career, everywhere he's gone. It's heartbreaking. But you cannot drop or trade Traquan Smith You need to keep the faith. Now, Traquan Smith may finally earn starter snaps just as Drew Brees is retiring. That is the problem, but Teddy Bridgewater could be good. The Saints could go out and acquire a quality quarterback, so just maintain faith in Traquan Smith as heartbreaking as this target distribution is looking because Traquan Smith's good. You believe that Traquan Smith is good. If you were starting a franchise today, you would want Traquan Smith on your team, right? I like Traquan Smith. I just we keep we keep wanting to see more from Traquan Smith, and he's just not cracking that that market share opportunity. And I hope he does. Uh, but like you said, he might be a year out. It might be a Ted Ginn. It's fine. It's fine. The third year breakout is a thing. Traquan Smith was a dominant college receiver. Was active down the field. 17.4 college yards per reception, 83rd percentile. His speed score and his burst score above the 80th percentile. This guy is a playmaker in the league. Just give him an opportunity. He has multiple weeks on his resume from last season where he was a top five fantasy receiver. Top five fantasy receiver. He has a 157-yard game on his resume. Get Ted Ginn the hell out of here. And get Richie James in the game more. Oh, breakout finder favorite. Breakout finder darling, Richie James. All he does is score long touchdowns. You had to love that. Oh, God. I mean, he is the poster child for the breakout finder. It is amazing anytime Richie James does anything because this is one of those guys. Fringe seventh round pick that the breakout finder found. 
Yes. This is this is what I love. These guys that are otherwise dismissed, kind of pushed to the side by many fantasy football fans, and even the NFL for that matter. Again, seventh round pick. That's going late, and when he gets on the field, all he does is makes big plays. Uh, I'm going to keep beating this drum. I just wish Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't his quarterback because I just don't like Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, you think Jimmy Garoppolo stinks? I think Jimmy Garoppolo stinks, and I've been saying this for a long time. I, I might be wrong in the end, but he hadn't done enough throughout his career to validate this. The completion percentage was decent. You don't think 166 yards... One touchdown, one interception against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers secondary is impressive? <laughs> no. You're not impressed by that? No, not yet. So we got we got problems, Matt. With Kyle Shanahan drawing up the plays, Jimmy Garoppolo's delivering 166 yards against the Buccaneers? How is he doing that? How is he this bad? We can complain about Jameis Winston, who was equally as inefficient with two more sacks and two more interceptions. But at least Jameis Winston was facing a professional defense. <laughs> I mean, Jameis Winston, for all of his faults, you have to admit, Jameis Winston's been unlucky that he's yet to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. If, <laughs> if, I, if I had told you that we have a quarterback that we're still not sure if he's any good at 28 years old who's averaging... 6.1 yards per attempt passing against a soft defense. It's bad. It is not a good look. If I'm a San Francisco fan, I am I am not in love with Jimmy Garoppolo. But, you know, you know how this goes. He was good when targeting George Kittle, and he's good when targeting Richie James, and that's about it. Yes. What about Debo Samuel? We started this show teasing rookie talk, and we've talked about zero rookie wide receivers thus far. That is so Sonic Truth podcast right there. A 20-minute tease to kick off the show. That's what we do. But Debo Samuel's for real. Debo Samuel was the snap leader among those wide receivers. He's the primary option in that passing game behind George Kittle. He was second on the team in targets and first among wide receivers in snap share. As a rookie, his first game as a rookie and he's out there operating as the alpha in that passing game. Are you surprised? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. What, what I am surprised by, though, is where he's being targeted on the field. I mean, you go look at his his A dot from last week, 3.3. I mean, it's incredible from a guy that came out of college averaging over 14 yards per reception in you know, it, one year it was over 16 in limited play, but over 14 for his collegiate career and being used like this, I put a lot of this on the San Francisco offense, but it, like you noted, it, it's good to see him running as the number one. We've heard a lot about Dante Pettis needs to earn his snaps, not playing hardly at all. Uh, it, it's great to see Debo coming out, and, and if you bought him, you're still holding him. I, we're going to get through this moment where this offense is trying to figure itself out. I don't know what the 3.3 is all about for the dot. That's embarrassing. For a player as dynamic as Debo Samuel and the breakout finder, upper percentile dynamic score. Um, as we've talked about before, this this you know helps uh, illustrate his elusiveness. They need to get the ball in his hand more. Uh, I'm still a fan, but uh, it'll be nice to see him you know as the season progresses. This most recent draft class, who did the breakout finder prefer? It was Nikhil Harry as number one overall. Debo Samuel at three. Debo Samuel was a top three wide receiver on the breakout finder. One of the big reasons, the dynamic score. You see this time and time and time again. 
the most versatile wide receivers at the college level, kick return, punt return, taking handoffs in the backfield, they have the football IQ and the raw football skills to succeed at the next level in a way that the one-dimensional wide receivers just can't. And we talked to Alex Dunlap from Roster Watch, and he said that Debo Samuel was the most impressive wide receiver at the Senior Bowl, that it wasn't close, that it was man among boys, and the only wide receiver that could hang with Debo Samuel in drills and during the game, you know who it was? Andy Isabella? Terry McLaurin. Mm. Terry fucking McLaurin, baby. Terry McLaurin. We started the chant on this show. Give Terry McLaurin an ADP. Give Terry McLaurin an ADP. Give Terry McLaurin an ADP. And now everyone that ignored Terry McLaurin on draft day wants Terry McLaurin on their team. Are you trying to add Terry McLaurin in any fantasy league as we speak? I added him in a fantasy league already. Um, you have to be chasing Terry McLaurin. This is an offense that has no other weapons. And to see him use the way he was, targeted the way he was, making big splash plays, this is a guy with ultra top-end speed. So he offers a lot of great tools, and he comes with a high-end pedigree. I mean, a third-round draft capital out of Ohio State. We've touched on the teammate score. You know, he had multiple teammates drafted out of this class, played with multiple drafted teammates, you know, Poor guy had to play with Paris Campbell. Right. If you're competing for targets with Paris Campbell, your dominator rating is not going to be as high as other wide receivers because Paris Campbell is also fantastic. Right. Targeted seven times last week. Again, a super high ADOT of of 20.4. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe his total air yards uh, for the week put him inside the top seven. Yeah, he was top 10 in total target depth. And... He could have scored twice. He was significantly overthrown on another deep ball in which he was wide open. So he's running these deep routes and he's creating massive amounts of separation because he runs a 4-3-5, Nate. He runs a 4-3-5 and he's 210 pounds. So he, like Paris Campbell, have upper percentile speed scores. I don't know how the hell college defensive backs were ever able to force Ohio State to punt. <laughs> I don't understand how Ohio State ever punted in 2018 with Paris Campbell and Terry McLaurin at wide receiver. I mean, what? You might have found out on Sunday if they put Dwayne Haskins in the game. Terry McLaurin is the number one in Washington. If he were 180 pounds, I would be skeptical, right? But he's not. As a 210-pound alpha, he is incredibly desirable. He should lead this team in target share this season as a rookie. So we know Terry McLaurin has this exceptional athletic profile. And he has a strong college pedigree. Now, what if, what if he's polished? What if he has a great feel for the position? What if he has great football instincts? What if you add all these intangibles to the measurables that show up on playerprofiler.com? Then this is a wide receiver that's going to be the number one tethered to Dwayne Haskins for the next decade. Terry McLaurin's going to have an ADP, Nate. He'll have an ADP in 2020, 2021, 
2022, 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, 2027, 2028, 2029. I'm unsure about 2030. We'll see. We'll see about 2030 for Terry McLaurin. Mm. Mm. I want him. I want him so bad. I have leagues where I drafted McLaurin and Kelvin Harmon hoping one would hit. And one of them has already hit in the biggest way. The biggest way. He didn't just deliver one of these boom weeks that the field stretchers like to drop every few weeks. And we saw a lot of field stretchers around the NFL drop a lot of boom weeks in week one. But I think Terry McLaurin's more than that. Take any of these boom weeks that you've seen. Marquise Brown, DJ Chark. Any one of these are more likely than not flukes not what we saw from terry mclaurin in week one Uh my question for you is who's the next terry mclaurin who's gonna pull a boom week out of nowhere in week two out of this rookie class or just in general you can pick anyone you have the entire player pool at your disposal nate list oh my gosh the next boom week Mm. i gotta say brandon cooks his day in the sun is coming What's the next boom week? Okay, that's a chalk play. Mm. Okay, Mm. very chalky taking Brandon Cooks. I'm going off the board. This is the surprising shock boom week. That's what I was looking for. It's not shocking when Brandon Cooks delivers 140 yards and a touchdown. But when Paris Campbell does it, the football community will be surprised. 99.9% of football fans and most analysts will be surprised with the exception of of the Podfather, because Devin Funchess is out. He's on injured reserve, designated to return. Paris Campbell is now a starting wide receiver in the league. And I know it could be Deion Kane, Deion Kane, and Paris Campbell and Chester Rogers. They're all in play to be that number two across from T.Y. Hilton in two receiver sets. But either way, Paris Campbell is going to be on the field in three receiver sets. And when you're Jacoby Brissett who is looking the part of a franchise quarterback, when you drop back to pass and that defense is bracketing T.Y. Hilton, who's your next read? Who do you want to get the ball to if not T.Y. Hilton? I mean, Paris Campbell, clearly you want to get the ball to. And who do you think Frank Reich will be drawing up plays for? Do you think he'll be designing plays for Deion Kane or Paris Campbell? Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. Here's the thing. I believe Paris Campbell, but we both agree that Deion Kane is a good football player. He's had a injury-riddled beginning whoa 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 whoa! i don't know if Dion kane's a good football player i know Dion kane is a great speed score 106.3 speed score but Dion kane was not a super dominant college receiver he didn't have the dynamic score that we like to see he had a nice teammate score because he played at clemson and played against high level competition but he wasn't dominant he was an old breakout and we've seen far too many wide receivers post big speed scores underwhelm in the production department and then flame out in the NFL. That's my worry with Deion Kane. That's why I'm not running out to best case scenario with Deion Kane. But Paris Campbell, I'm ready. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm holding onto my chair ready. I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't want to be the... Wait, did I just silence you? Did I silence all debate on Deion Kane? Do you have no response? 
I had no, I have a response on Dion Kane. Dion Kane was one of those players that in 2018, the breakout finder had him right outside the top 12. But he's a guy that when given the opportunity to play, whether it's preseason or or NFL, I mean, he's been hurt, but the guy has performed when given opportunity. And I'm not writing him off because he is one of the guys that film grinders have loved. When did he perform in the NFL? He's never performed in the NFL. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm correcting myself. But the point is. What? He, uh, well, are you talking about preseason? I mean, that's what. That's where we've seen him. You're really flustered. You're having a difficult time developing a case for why dynasty leaguers should be targeting Deion Kane. I'm not. We're, <laughs> this is great. So I'm not anti Deion Kane, and you sound like you definitely are, which is. Well, because I'm pro Paris Campbell. I'm pro Paris Campbell, too. You have to make a decision. If you're pro Paris Campbell, you can't be pro Deion Kane. There can be only one winner behind T.Y. Hilton, and I am Team Paris Campbell. I think it's easy to be Team Paris Campbell with no injury history, coming out of college with the high athleticism score, a second-round pick. There's a lot to like. I'm just saying I don't think Deion Kane is a talentless player. So, I mean, everything says that Paris Campbell is going to get his opportunity. Devin Funches is out. This is his chance. I'm not writing off Deion Kane, but it doesn't scare me in starting or playing Paris Campbell. And I think you might be right in your call. If if we look at the score on Sunday and Paris Campbell drops 140, it'll be a great call by you. But I won't be surprised either because the talent is there and the ability is there. No one should be surprised. No one should be surprised. You should be surprised if a sixth-round pick coming off an ACL tear does it. Absolutely. I love the Dion Kane enthusiasm, which is solely driven by vividness bias. We saw this guy in the college football playoffs, so he must be good. Except he went in the sixth round. And all those scouts and general managers also saw that college football playoff game and passed on Dion Kane. If I'm going to draft a wide receiver for my Dynasty League team who was selected in the 6th and 7th round. I want small school guys. I want guys you can build a case for who flew under the radar. Guys like Antonio Brown. Guys like Julian Edelman. Guys like Richie James. Those are the 6th and 7th round picks I'm targeting. Not 6 rounders from Clemson that underwhelmed throughout the process and fell to the middle of day 3. Fuck out of here, man. You do know that being a six-round wide receiver out of Clemson's like being the number one receiver at every small school in the country. If you have a 106.3, 86th percentile speed score and you go to Clemson and you fall to the sixth round, something ain't right. There's players that he played with. We've talked about this. Show me a 36th percentile breakout age and a sixth-round draft capital for a Clemson wide receiver, and I'll show you a red flag player. But aren't we ignoring aren't we ignoring teammate score at this point? I mean, this conversation seems to have completely thrown out the whole purpose of what this tool does. I mean, this is a guy that's played with multiple players that were drafted, including Mike Williams, Artavis Scott, Sharon Peake. Uh, there's tons of players that played with him that are all highly drafted, and this comes up occasionally on the show. But just because some of these guys don't hit in the NFL doesn't mean that they were high-end college talents. I mean, they were. These were great college players. And in the college system, they took a major part of the market share because they didn't hit the NFL. I don't know that that always translates to the fact that a guy that played with them is going to stink at the next level because he didn't, you know, he didn't pass up all the competition around him. This conversation's gone way too far. I prefer Paris Campbell to Deion Kane. I can't believe we spent two minutes on this. Thank you, thank you. 
I don't think he's washed. Well, no, you had to cape up for Deion Kane. You had to make sure that the world knows that I don't hate Deion Kane. I like Deion Kane. He went to Clemson and he has athleticism. So I want to make sure everybody knows I like him. Virtue signaling on the sixth rounder from Clemson. Meanwhile, you know that any featured routes that he runs are just being kept warm for one Paris Campbell. Just fucking move on. What was McCole Hardman's teammate score at Georgia? Played with Terry Godwin. Riley Ridley. Played with Riley Ridley, who was overdrafted and is going to do absolutely nothing in the NFL, but he was drafted, so he's better than most wide receivers at the college level. If we like Terry McLaurin and his low dominator rating, because he's a downfield playmaker in the face of huge target competition at the college level, we have to also like McCole Hardman. And McCole Hardman is in the best possible situation. Terry McLaurin's quarterback right now is Case Keenum. McCole Hardman's is Patrick Mahomes. And Hardman was second on that team in wide receiver snaps in week one. Without Tyreek Hill, that means he's a starter. And if anyone's going to play the Tyreek Hill role in that offense, it's going to be McCole Hardman, who has, who runs a 4-3. Tyreek Hill, 99th percentile speed. McCole Hardman, 99th percentile speed. Sometimes it's just that simple. And if you can get separation... Patrick Mahomes can deliver it accurately, more accurate than any pass he ever received at the college level, I'm sure. So I'm looking forward to what McCole Harbin can deliver. It's wheels up, but because he did not produce in week one, I still think you can attain McCole Hardman at value in Dynasty Leagues. I would be crafting trades where McCole Harbin is the second best player you're acquiring. The Trojan horse offer. I take one of my studs and put him up against one of your studs. My stud might be a little bit bigger, so I ask you to include McCole Hardman. The ultimate Trojan horse deal. Well, I like I like the idea of how to acquire him. With Tyreek Hill being injured, I mean, yeah, this is a great opportunity for Miko Hardman to show out. And you got lucky that in week one, he didn't do anything with, I think, the singular target that he received. But now... It was amazing. That was a gift to those of us that pay attention. It was a gift to playerprofiler.com users that McCole Hardman logged zero receptions in week one. He was barely targeted because we know that's not going to last. <laughs> no, no. And, and next week, I believe they're getting uh, the Oakland Raiders, which is going to be a, a beautiful matchup for him. So oh. get him now because you won't be able to get him after that. Who would you rather have in Dynasty, McCole Hardman or John Ross? Oh, my. Because John Ross has the draft capital, right? It's draft capital versus team situation. Who would you rather have? Oh, my. I mean, John Ross has exceptional draft capital. Miko Hardman has good draft capital, too. He doesn't have top 10 draft capital like John Ross, though. He doesn't, but John Ross was overdrafted. Uh, John Ross, man, my goodness. Where the fuck was that? Where did that come from? And why did I have to be watching my favorite team getting absolutely trounced by John Ross, a player that by most accounts people thought was not going to make it in the league, didn't have the talent level, had the speed, but just didn't have what it was going to take to make it. We thought Tyler Boyd was going to be the one to give Seattle fits. But John Ross, 12 targets, seven receptions for 158 yards and two touchdowns. Andy Dalton carved up Seattle and John Ross looked like a playmaker. His hands didn't look good. Do you see John Ross after the catch? It's one thing to get separation deep, make a basket catch, and run for the touchdown unchallenged. But John Ross was making plays after the catch, making guys miss. He was fun to watch. 
Yeah, he was John Ross, I think, had 58 yards after the catch against Seattle. So, I mean, he was definitely making things happen. Uh, What was the coverage assignment? Who was Shaq Griffin covering in that game? I would imagine he was covering Tyler Boyd. That's the only explanation. So you would trade. Are you selling? Would you sell high if you had John Ross right now? Uh, I think you do because A.J. Green's gone. That's a big reason why his opportunity was so high. We believe that Tyler Boyd is going to come back and play well. I, I think John Ross is starting to show what uh, you know the Bengals saw in him, but why not? We're, we're coming into another year where John Ross is playing. He's finally showing something. Um, I might be willing to sell high. You've been holding him forever. He was worth nothing last year. This is the most valuable he has ever been since your rookie draft, I would be selling high if I was getting something good for him. What do you think about selling high on Marquise Brown? My, oh my. What about that? Because Marquise Brown has the first round draft capital. He runs a 4-3. He's the number one receiver for a quarterback that can suddenly throw. Marquise Brown is checking a lot of boxes, but he did it against the Dolphins in just a handful of snaps. You'd like to see him log a full snap share and demonstrate a more complete route inventory, show that he's an alpha in that passing game because the counting stats aren't enough to demonstrate alpha status. I need to see more from Marquise Brown, and I am shopping him as we speak because you can get a lot. If you have Marquise Brown, he is the portal into a land of stud running backs. I'm always looking to sell high on young receivers that I think, not named Juju Smith-Schuster, that I think can net me a stud running back. Not one for one, not yet, but you're at the point now where you can package Marquise Brown with a good running back to get a stud running back, and I'm all about that. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Marquise Brown's a good player to package up. I You know, he did it on five total targets, and Lamar Jackson played out of his mind like he never has in his entire career. You touched on the fact that it was against the Dolphins. Um, You know, Lamar Jackson is doing what we saw from him in college. He is making progression year over year, and there was a lot of analysts that believe that this was the trajectory for Lamar Jackson. But again, hyper-efficient, 20 pass attempts, 85% completion percentage, five passing touchdowns. The odds that Lamar Jackson has a game like this again in his career, I would take the under by a mile. But with that being said, we've already seen how they plan on using Marquise Brown. But I'm with you. If I can flip Brown, a player that in my rookie draft, I either got in the late first or you know mid-second round, I'm absolutely doing it. If I can parlay him plus a player into a Nick Chubb, you know, into a Derrick Henry if he's available. I think there's a lot of options. Into a Melvin Gordon. Yes, lots of options. Are you familiar with our metric called hog rate on Player Profiler? Yes, I am. Okay, Nate, what is it? What is the hog rate, Matt? Uh, yeah, what does it mean? What does it stand for? Uh, humans. You don't know what it is. You're such a fraud. You don't know what it is. Hold on. No, 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 no. Of course you don't know what it is. You're trying to look it up. Cursor over that little eye icon next to the field label hold on i see right through you well i don't see right through you i see you in the monitor it's Uh targets per snap do you know who led all wide receivers and targets per snap last week targets per snap yeah this is oh i don't know i don't know matt here's a clue we just talked about him for two minutes oh god uh marquise brown marquise brown (laughs) 
When you earn five targets on 12 snaps, you're going to have the highest hog rate in the league, of course. But that just goes to show that he was only put in the game for plays that were designed to go to him. So I'd like to see Marquise Brown thrive in an environment where the plays aren't designed for him. Miles Boykin logged more snaps, but he had a lot less targets. Are you disappointed with Miles Boykin? Because he was on the field. Remember, a lot of these rookie wide receivers historically haven't even seen the field. So it's something for guys like Miles Boykin just to see the field. It's noteworthy, right? Absolutely. And he was drafted with plenty of draft pedigree. I mean, third round pick. Marquise Brown, in this particular instance, was the guy that they decided to go to. It was it was free money for Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown to link up in this game. I mean, Mark Andrews played out of his mind. There's going to be plenty of games where we look at the at the box score at the end, and it was the Miles Boykin game. This just wasn't it. It's the first game of his NFL career. There's a lot to like about him going forward. I, I'm not concerned. Like you said, he had the snaps. That's what you want to see. He's on the field. Just give him time. Which player are you bending your will to acquire in Dynasty this week? Oh, my gosh. Um, bending my will to acquire in Dynasty. You give me yours first, then I'll do mine. You have the show sheet. Matt, I, I have the show There's sheet. very few questions. That's the only open question on the entire show sheet. And you couldn't have an answer prepared for the one open question? The one question that required any thought, any preparation. Is this going to be that rant all over again? Can I, can I, can I go Tyrell Williams? Am I allowed to? Am I allowed to do that? Tyrell Williams is a great answer. Thank I want you. Tyrell Williams in every league. He's the number one, and Derek Carr seems to be playing as well as he's played in his whole career. I can't. We're looking at peak Derek Carr right now, and that's something. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Yeah, peak Derek Carr, and perhaps peak Tyrell Williams. 95th percentile catch radius. The guy's a big playmaker. If he finally is in a situation where he's being fed targets and he's not in the shadow of Keenan Allen, look out, man. Mine's Curtis Samuel. Mm. Is that a good choice? Um, I think uh, I think it's not a good choice. I think it's not a good choice because, and here, here's why. Wait, what? The breakout finder loves Curtis Samuel. I know, but the breakout finder doesn't like Cam Newton. And the breakout finder doesn't like how the Carolina Panthers target Christian McCaffrey all game long, then target DJ Moore and ignore Curtis Samuel. I mean, Curtis Samuel, his his A dot was non-existent. He was targeted four times in this offense, you know, to to DJ Moore. He was the number four receiver in this passing game. Yeah, a game that, that he was a distant fourth on that target totem pole. But what I'm seeing is a consolidated target share around four guys. And one of them is 33 with one foot out of the league and in the television booth. The hope is that I just I'm not a fan of Cam Newton and I haven't been a fan of him for numerous years now. I I am waiting for the Will Greer ushered in era. That's what I want. Let's move into it. At least Cam Newton's yards per attempt was above five in week one. Jared Goff was 23 for 39 for 186 yards. To throw the ball 39 times and only accumulate 186 yards, that should be a crime. They should have thrown Jared Goff in jail against the Carolina Panthers? I mean, come on, man. It's not good. You're not wrong. 
Jared Goff is looking like the most fraudulent quarterback in the NFL right now. And I'm not saying Curtis Samuel is the number one, because that was the speculation throughout the offseason. Like Curtis Samuel has better rapport with Cam Newton. He's making more plays in practice than DJ Moore. Maybe it's Curtis Samuel operating as the number one to DJ Moore's number two in 2019. But I think we saw with the target share, 10 for DJ Moore, four for Curtis Samuel. This is going to be the Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore show. And I believe week one helped a lot of dynasty leaguers come to terms with Curtis Samuel the situational wide receiver. But I love these situational wide receivers because they can move into featured roles at any time and they have that explosive athleticism to deliver wide receiver one weeks. That's why I'm targeting Curtis Samuel. You know he's still 23 years old. Yes. I I like and I love, I love Curtis Samuel. I just don't think that the Carolina offense does, is designed to utilize his skill set enough. Look, if they're not going to target him, more times per game, then at least target him downfield. And they're not doing that either. So I don't know where Curtis Samuel falls on this spectrum. I get what you're saying about Greg Olson and, and whatever else in the future, but Christian McCaffrey is going to eat up targets. There's no number three receiver in that passing game. When Greg Olson retires, the problem is it's going to be Ian Thomas, and Ian Thomas is a true talent in the league. So it's not like Curtis Samuel is going to get much relief from Greg Olson's retirement, but I like the complimentary wide receiver that I can put in flex in deep dynasty leagues. Those are guys I'm targeting because I can get because they can put you over the top in your matchups when they when they deliver the boom weeks and you're not expecting a lot anyway. So when they give you three, four receptions for 35 yards, it's not a killer. I've always enjoyed playing the Deshaun Jackson archetype players knowing they won't lose you a week but they can win you a week and I think Curtis Samuel can win you weeks in the NFC South matching up against the Buccaneers twice and the Saints twice and the Falcons twice just wait just wait we'll be talking about Curtis Samuel later this year just wait and I love DJ Moore right I mean we're all super validated by DJ Moore's performance in week one. So I'm just happy. It's hard to be happy for the Carolina Panthers who look so bad, but Christian McCaffrey is the number one running back in all of football. And DJ Moore is a hit officially. He's a hit. He's a multi-season hit. Yep. And Curtis Samuel is now the ideal buy low candidate. Yep. But more often than not, I buy high. AJ Brown is an ideal buy high candidate. Because he is what we thought he was. We thought he was great, and then week one he was great. I'm buying. I'm overpaying for A.J. Brown because he's so good. I love A.J. Brown. God bless A.J. Brown. In in a Tennessee offense that for the past few years has absolutely stunk, they go and blow out the Browns. Marcus Mariota looks absolutely alive like we haven't seen him in some time. And then absolute crickets for Corey Davis. Nothing. The guy that we thought was going to be the roadblock to A.J. Brown momentarily, absolutely non-existent in this offensive passing game. Can we just go back in time and remember the Titans drafted a small school wide receiver with a broken foot in the top 10? Can you believe that happened? 
Can you believe it? Uh, Meanwhile, a guy like A.J. Brown, a high-pedigree, total box-checker wide receiver, like across right. the board, bing, 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 a no-doubter from Ole Miss, goes in the second round. Football, man. What the hell? No one could tell me that the NFL draft represents any kind of rational decision-making process when you juxtapose Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. But he only logged a 50% snap share. And I'm not so sure Corey Davis is going to just slink away off into the night. He operated as the alpha. He was shadowed by Denzel Ward. So I still think A.J. Brown has something to prove. And if you can't get him in trade, maybe wait a couple weeks. Let the Titans be the Titans with a run-first offense. Maybe A.J. Brown fails to produce for a couple weeks. Then you can move in. But one way or another, get A.J. Brown on your fantasy team. And get Dante Pettis off it. Mm. Like, off it. Treat Dante Pettis like he's syphilis. Like mm. he's a sexually transmitted disease. Dante Pettis TD. <laughs> that's a good one, right? That's good. Dante Pettis TD. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Dante Pettis TD. Yeah. it's good. He's terrible. And he was one of those players this offseason that we received criticism on both sides that we don't have him high enough on the world famous in quotes draft kit cheat sheet we're not high enough on him in seasonal leagues and our lifetime value on the dynasty dominator app not high enough either why do we have him down the board with unproven rookies and complimentary receivers why 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 and the answer was because he has a complimentary receiver because that's what he is he should be down the board because he's not an alpha. He's a fake alpha. He wasn't overly productive at Washington, and he doesn't have the physical stature and athletic tools to operate on the outside consistently. He is a complementary possession receiver, but he's on a team that has Richie James and Trent Taylor and other complementary receivers to complement the true alpha in that passing game, Debo Samuel, which is why Debo Samuel has always been ranked higher on our dynasty rankings than Dante Pettis TD. Avoid him like a sexually transmitted disease. And if he's on your team, sell low. <laughs> I want to buy high on A.J. Brown and sell low on Dante Pettis. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is an offense that doesn't have a lot of weapons. And, you know, as was noted um, by Kyle Shanahan, he stinks. He he needs to earn his snaps. He's also coming off of a cash, a calf issue. That doesn't really change anything. We all agree that Dante Pettis is not the player that I think he was drafted. I think he'll be a fine punt returner in the league. I think he makes a good number three receiver in the NFL. If Trent Taylor suffers a setback to his broken foot, then I think that Dante Pettis can have a role in the slot in the second half of the season. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, so many Dynasty Leaguers complaining about where we had Dante Pettis. And I was like, he doesn't have a high lifetime value because there's just not a lot of value there. Guys that look like Dante Pettis don't accrue a lot of lifetime value throughout their career. Hence the low lifetime value, you buzzhole. I don't know why I'm so mad. Uh, you're fired up right now. It's unfortunate. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. This is a possession receiver. This is a fake alpha. And he goes out and logs two snaps with rookies and Marquise Goodwin as target competition. 
Meanwhile, DK Metcalf is tripling the target share of every receiver in that Seattle passing game. How about DK Metcalf? Is he the true alpha in Seattle? Has he already surpassed Tyler Lockett? How about DK Metcalf? No, I don't think he's passed Tyler Lockett. There was a quote uh, from Tyler Lockett just recently talking about how he hadn't really experienced double coverage in the NFL till now. Uh, he said it was happening to him all game. And and that makes sense, right? Tyler Lockett is a hyper-efficient receiver when paired with Russell Wilson. I think they only had one catch together in this game. Um, and it was for 44 yards and a score. So he's doing what he normally does. So I think coverage is going to start to roll a little bit to Metcalf after we saw Metcalf can run some routes. Uh, FYI, everybody, those weren't nine routes. Those weren't go routes that he was running beating NFL coverage with. Uh, He ended up four receptions for 89 yards on the day and a long of 42. So Metcalf came alive in this game, and it is in lockstep with everything we heard all offseason from Russell Wilson. He said he looked great. He was making plays on the field. He was ahead sort of uh, of where most rookies are coming into this time of the year. And here he is making plays. I think Tyler Lockett is still the number one, but it mm. will be interesting to see how the target distribution is set up because Tyler Lockett has never been heavily targeted. But if DK Metcalf continues to be sort of the safety valve wide receiver option, seeing you know five, six, seven targets a game, and Tyler Lockett's in a similar realm but more efficient, you know DK Metcalf could end up with more targets by the end of the year. And that might seem crazy to some people. If Tyler Lockett finishes second to DK Metcalf in targets and is a complimentary receiver (laughs) in 2019, I will be big wrong. That will be more than just egg on my face. (laughs) It'll be a duck egg, a goose egg. That'll be an ostrich egg on my face. A dinosaur egg. If it turns out that DK Metcalf is the target leader for the Seahawks in 2019, I will get my just desserts for ripping all of the Dante Pettis enthusiasts if it turns out Tyler Lockett is also a complimentary receiver. I really hope he's not. Please, Tyler. Please. Because he bailed us out with a touchdown last week. He did. Had he not bailed us out with a touchdown, it would have been very bad. Two targets? I mean... This is a Cincinnati Bengals defense that we did not expect to to be much of a challenge for the Seattle offense. And to see them take Tyler Lockett out of this game, um, I'm curious to see how the season goes from here. I mean, if if teams are going to do this and force Russell to to put it in DK's hands and make DK beat teams, it'll be interesting. This is the shadow corner fallacy right here. When you play teams like Cincinnati that bracket cover number ones – You need a truly special alpha receiver that can play above the defense like a Julio Jones to overcome that. If you're not, if you're 5'10", 185, if you're Tyler Lockett and you get bracket covered, you could be snuffed out. So you want Tyler Lockett playing against a well-above-average cover corner to entice the opposing defense to single-cover him with that number one cover corner. God, I wish we could go back and talk about Dante Pettis. That's so much fun grinding him into the ground well so speaking of fraud receivers bigger fraud dj chark or chris conley whoa mommy boy um this is an interesting one because one of these guys was drafted in the second round recently and the other one has the athleticism we've kind of been expecting him to do something for a couple of years now they might both be frauds i'm not even sure 
Yeah, similar guys and similarly fraudulent. D.D. Westbrook is still the number one in that passing game. He's the only wide receiver I believe in in Jacksonville. And with Gardner Minshew oh, yeah. at quarterback with an above-average defense and Leonard Fournette at running back, there's going to be one wide receiver you can trust on that team, and it's D.D. Westbrook. On the other hand, in Arizona, they're going four wide more often than not. I mean, breaking all the records for four wide receiver sets. Here's the problem, though. Keyshawn Johnson, 10 targets. Andy Isabella, zero. Not good. Zero, Nate. Not good. It's not good. Are you worried about Andy Isabella's lack of involvement early in the season vis-a-vis Keyshawn Johnson's extreme involvement? I mean, how many other rookies commanded 10 targets in week one? Not very many. None. And and every one of these guys had over 100 air yards, well over 100 air yards. So Arizona is pushing the ball downfield. Um, I'm not... Against Detroit. Not, Detroit yeah. has a good defense. Yeah. And I'm not ultra concerned about Andy Isabella in week one. I mean, Keyshawn Johnson, we've heard it for a majority of the offseason. He was passing up Hakeem Butler. Chad Williams has been phased out. He's beyond Kevin White. Um, Andy Isabella, we had heard some some negative information come out about him throughout the you know the preseason and training camp. So to see Keyshawn playing in this role, I'm not totally surprised. You know, when we go back two months, yeah, I'd be surprised to know this in the future. But seeing it now after things have played out, not that surprised. And Andy Isabella just might be a little bit more of a slow start. But what he brings to the table should eventually put him back out on the field. And uh, it, it might be a few weeks before we see him. He's, so he's by low right now for sure. 96.2 Spark X score, 25th percentile for Keyshawn Johnson with only a 12.9 yards per reception. But because they play Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk in the slot, that forces Keyshawn Johnson to play outside. And if you're best comparable to Willie Sneed, you're not best deployed outside. Once Andy Isabella comes fully online, has more seasoning, gets up to speed, He's going to be the signature outside receiver for this team. It's not going to be Akeem Butler. It's not going to be Keyshawn Johnson. Eventually, Larry Fitzgerald will be phased out. He can't play forever. And it'll be Keyshawn Johnson and Christian Kirk inside with Andy Isabella stretching the field. I think that's the future in Arizona. And that's why Andy Isabella is a buy in Dynasty. It's a buy low. We've covered it all. Buy high, buy low. Sell high, sell low. What about Preston Williams? I think Preston Williams is just a buy. He's not a buy high. He's not a buy low. He's just a buy. Because he didn't shock the world in week one. Didn't go over 100 yards. Didn't melt faces. But he was highly involved for a team that has very few options in the passing game. And he scored a touchdown against the Ravens. So in that context, Preston Williams week one was impressive. Three catches, 24 yards, and a touchdown. And second on the team in wide receiver targets. He's not going to be a point of conversation among your league mates, but he was one of the more impressive rookies who didn't post huge numbers. Yeah, and he's inside the the top 30 for the week in ADOT at 14.6. So his numbers weren't huge, as you alluded to, but where he's being used was impressive. Um, I think most people don't even know that they have Preston Williams on their roster if they do. That's how under the radar he is to me. And I'm with you. I don't know that he's a buy high or a buy low. That I mean, that's a fair way to put it. He's just a buy. Who would you rather have right now, Preston Williams or Keyshawn Johnson? 
That's a great one. Um, I'm going to go with Keyshawn Johnson only, only because again, and, and is this me selling them or me owning them for a long period of time? Because owning them for a long period of time, you have a guy with fifth round draft capital tethered to Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray versus an undrafted guy tethered to Josh Rosen in Miami. Right. I think that you're going to go Keyshawn Johnson here, especially with the idea that Larry Fitzgerald at some point steps out and that's it's Isabella and Kirk and Keyshawn Johnson can find his way in that offense. He's got the draft capital. It's an ascending offense. I'd much rather have Keyshawn. Much rather. Oh, wow. Okay. How about Preston Williams versus Jacoby Myers? How about that one right there? Um, Boy, does Jacoby Myers stick? You know, long term, I, I don't know. I, I would prefer Preston Williams here because I'm not sure uh, that Jacoby Myers ever gets the target share uh, that'll compete with him. You know, at the end of the year, a guy like Jacoby Myers can have 35 targets. Preston Williams can at least push, you know, 50, 60, 70, maybe. I don't think Jacoby ever gets there. If you're ranking in DeAndre Hopkins ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster because you're worried about life without Ben Roethlisberger, why are you stashing Jacoby Myers. Do you think that he's going to ascend the depth chart before Tom Brady retires? How long can Tom Brady play, Nate? Well, here's the thing. Even if Tom Brady plays another three years, I don't think Edelman's necessarily going away. Josh Gordon's young enough to keep playing. They're getting Antonio Brown, although some news just broke about him, so we'll see how that goes. Uh-oh, what happened? ESPN wide receiver Antonio Brown accused of sexually assaulting his former trainer, according to a lawsuit that was filed on Tuesday. Get the hell out of here. Not good. Sell those AB shares stat. Oh my God. So with that being said, maybe Jacoby Myers does see 40 targets this year. I don't know. I'm speechless. I'm sorry, man. I'm speechless. Antonio Brown. He silenced the podfather. I have no words to describe Antonio Brown at this point. This human being is beyond description using the English language. It's not possible that he exists. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. By Jacoby Myers. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Bye. Make sure you're stashing Jacoby Myers. Can I share a dynasty roster with you? Why not, Matt? This is a patron league. Become a patron, patreon.com forward slash podfather, and you can join a patron league. You can play me in fantasy every week by joining us on Patreon. And I'm in one of many, many, many patron dynasty leagues. And my best roster features an RB core of Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alvin Kamara. It's pretty good. That's a pretty good RB core, don't you think? It is good. Could you think of a better RB core? A better RB core than that? Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Alvin Kamara. The only way you could get better is if you had Christian McCaffrey in there, and it would be almost negligible. I mean, it's good. You want Christian McCaffrey in every RB core, but that's the only way you could conceivably construct a better RB core. And it's two quarterback, and my quarterbacks just happen to be Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. <laughs> that's awesome. Dak looks pretty good. Dak actually looks like a top-five quarterback this season. So good for Dak. My tight end is Travis Kelsey. So that's fine. That's good, right? You want Travis Kelsey as your tight end? Obviously, yes. I have Kenny Galladay, Cooper Cup, some solid wide receivers. I also have Sammy Watkins. <laughs> wide receiver. It's great. Things are looking up. 
but I've been trying to mix and match my you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth receivers. Do you want to know who I'm playing this week? Who? Hit me. I have Keyshawn Johnson and Terry McLaurin. <laughs> oh, Roll them out. Because I had late rookie picks. So, of course, I have Terry McLaurin. I was drafting at the end of the third round. That's where Terry McLaurin's available. Cha-ching! You like that team, Nate? It's a great team. It's a stacked roster. I mean, I feel bad for everyone else in that league because they know they have no shot. <laughs> I've talked to some of my league mates in this league, and they're good sports about it. They're just like, you have a great team, dude. It's it's a marvel to behold. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's cool, man. <laughs> I enjoy it. When I'm losing in all these other leagues, I go here for comfort. This team is like my blankie. When I'm having a bad day, I just look at it and suck my thumb. Oh, God. Now, there is one rookie we have not talked about yet, and he wildly disappointed in week one. I was one of the few not surprised by this disappointment. Hunter Renfro Uh did not break out in week one, Nate. Uh Uh-oh. Were you surprised by the non-breakout of Hunter Renfro? Um, I think I was surprised that his target usage was lower. Because he was a prince that was promised. He was going to vacuum up 10 targets, right? Yeah. What happened, Hunter? What happened, man? That's where I was surprised. I thought, by all accounts, Hunter Renfro's box score at the end of the game was going to say eight targets, six catches, Mm -hmm, you know, for mm -hmm. 82 yards. And we're going to go, there he is, slot machine, you know, sure-handed. This is the guy. This is what they were talking about. But he ends the day. Outproduced by Ryan Grant. Yes. Yes. Two catches, 13 yards. Not what we were expecting. Do you want to know why so many fantasy gamers love Hunter Renfro? Other than the fact that he's white? I'm not sure I want to add. Yeah, sure, Matt. He went to Clemson. And if you go to Clemson, even if you broke out at a late age and you weren't particularly dominant, even if you posted a 10-4, fourth percentile yards per reception, all the fantasy gamers are going to love you because you went to Clemson. Gamers are gonna love you because you went to Clemson. That's the show. Okay, I'm like, I don't know how the fuck I'm supposed to respond to that. Well, I'm glad I set you up with the Dion Kane at Clemson thing so you could polish it off with Hunter Renfro. I hate Clemson so much. You have to admit, it's impressive in some ways that this organization can be so fraudulent. Like their coach could be such a raging fraud and their entire program fraudulent stacked on fraudulence 
that they make Alabama likable. Like, that's hard to do, but Clemson has found a way to do it. I don't have any recent Clemson players on my fantasy team, but yeah, I, of course I have Sammy Watkins. I just listed Sammy Watkins as on my my blankie team, the Podfather's Blankie. I'm going to change the team name right now to the Podfather's Blankie. Sammy Watkins is on that team. That was before the program became a pyramid scheme. Dabo Swinney. It's a dumb name. Oh, you're just going, you're just going all in on this thing. If he's going to be named Dabo, we could be named anything. That orange, oh God. Sonic Truth exclusive event, breakout rookie special. This is also the first episode that has ever taken place after week one in the regular season. This has never happened. We've never done a regular season episode, ever. Yes, we did. We did one once a month. Not the regular season. We have never done it. You got to go back and check. Well, I did last year, but maybe it wasn't with you. Yeah, it was not with me. I probably quit. All right, here we go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. What are you kidding me? Of course, there's a wrong answer. There's a right and a wrong answer. Who's number one? The answer is Patrick Mahomes. So if you said Deshaun Watson, that would have been the wrong answer. This is a semi-tricky question, but at the same time, not really tricky at all. We told you we were ranking Patrick Mahomes number one. Fine. But we were insistent that this is a conversation. Uh, Yes, I'm going to extrapolate. I don't want to. I hate people that do, but we're one weekend. We have to. He's very extrapolatable. Whoa, mommy. 200 targets. 200 targets. Whoa, mommy. Remember when Miami could have had Drew Brees? Whoa, mommy. You were doing it wrong. Do you know what a high ankle sprain is? Uh, I mean, it's above the ankle, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's above the ankle, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it's above the ankle, isn't it? Not ankle high. That's a sock. The Jimmy Garoppolo is a turd. Oh, Raheem Mostert. Yes. He's the fifth receiver. Fuck this. Well, well then. Wow. You know who I don't want on my fantasy team is Ted fucking Ginn. I think Jimmy Garoppolo stinks, and I've been saying this for a long time. You don't think 166 yards, one touchdown, one interception against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers secondary is impressive? How is Ted Ginn still fast? This doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. Jameis Winston's been unlucky that he's yet to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. If, <laughs> if I, I don't understand how Ohio State ever punted. Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> oh, yeah! Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. With the exception of the Podfather. Well, I mean, okay, hold on, wah, 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 wah. Terry fucking McLaurin, baby. Give Terry McLaurin an ADP. Give Terry McLaurin an ADP. Give Terry McLaurin an ADP. We've heard a lot about... Sorry, I'm spacing. Uh, why am I fucking spacing right now? What? Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm correcting myself. But the point is... What? He, uh, well, are you talking about preseason? I mean, that's what, that's where we've seen him. What? We've heard a lot about... Sorry, I'm spacing. Uh, why am I fucking spacing right now? Treat Dante Pettis like he's syphilis. 
Dante Estidius. <laughs> so stupid. Dante Pettis TD. He's terrible. Because he is a complimentary receiver. Because that's what he is. I think he'll be a fine punt returner in the league. Hence the low lifetime value, you buzzhole. Oh my god. All the fantasy gamers are gonna love you because you went to Clemson. Show me a 36 percentile breakout age and a sixth round draft capital for a Clemson wide receiver and I'll show you a red flag player. I don't think he's washed. You have to make sure that the world knows that I don't hate Deion Kane. Just fucking move on. I'm ready. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm holding onto my chair ready. Whoa, mommy. Bing, 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 bing. Because he is what we thought he was. Just fucking move on. We're looking at peak Derek Carr right now. And that's something. Just fucking move on. Only accumulate 186 yards. That should be a crime. They should have thrown Jared Goff in jail against the Carolina Panthers? I mean, come on, man. Just fucking move on. What was McCole Hardman's teammate score at Georgia? Uh, uh, I gotta look it up. Are you familiar with our metric called hog rate on player profiler? Yes, I am. It is targets per snap. I just fucked up. I told you what it was. I should have asked you. Let me, okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. You don't know what it is. I know you don't want to know what it is. You don't know what it is. You're such a fraud. You don't know what it is. I see right through you. Well, I don't see right through you. I see you in the monitor. Oh, God. Uh, Marquise Brown? They might both be frauds. I'm not even sure. This team is like my blankie. Suck my thumb. Is this going to be that rant all over again? I will be big wrong. That's a great one. Um, We've covered it all. A dinosaur egg. Buy high, buy low. Sell high, sell low. <laughs> That's awesome. Dante Pettis TD. I think it's more likely that Chris Godwin ascends to tier one wide receiver status in the league this season than Mike Evans, because I believe that Chris Godwin has the ability to be efficient in the face of huge volume, to command 120, 130, 140 targets, secure a high catch rate, and accumulate yards after the catch. I think that Chris Godwin's skill set has the three pillars required of an elite receiver. And those are skills that I don't believe Mike Evans possesses. Chris Godwin is also three years younger. And that's why if I were starting a franchise today, I would select Chris Godwin, not Mike Evans. If you were starting a franchise, Nate Liss. Uh-oh. General manager Liss. Oh. Who you got? Chris Godwin or Mike Evans? Oh, man. Uh, well, we, we both know that it's a leap of faith to some extent with Chris Godwin, of course, but you want to be ahead of the curve. It's not a leap of faith. Matt, come on. It's not a leap of faith. It's a little bit 
of a leap of faith. A little bit, because the assumption is that this is the year that he's going to equal Mike Evans in, in target opportunity, which the 179 vacated targets. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to equal Mike Evans in targets. He can outscore him in fantasy football with less targets because he's more efficient and because he's more explosive after the catch. We don't disagree on that. I, I, I'm going to tell you that based on ceilings and the way that I believe it as well, I think that Chris Godwin, I'm with you. I think he does have the higher overall ceiling. But I think 90% of people are going to tell you that they would take Mike Evans in this instance. And those people disagree with our trade analyzer scores involving Mike Evans. And I'm fine with it because our job is not to provide a window into the wisdom of the crowds. Our job is to give fantasy gamers an edge by illuminating the inefficiencies in the player pool. And Mike Evans has set up his dynasty owners for disappointment this year. We just happen to be giving you tomorrow's newspaper so you know it before the season even starts.